Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we explore what biblical prophetic messaging reveals about the concept of hell. The world has created its own caricature of hell. It's prevalent in today's culture. How does this stack up with the biblical view? Scripture is diverse in its treatment of the concept of hell, using various words and ideas to describe the place we think of as hell. Where is the truth? And what can we learn by exploring the prophetic descriptions in the Bible? We'll uh, continue our uh, study of the history of the future. Uh, So... Let's just pray and we'll get started. Thanks, God, for your grace, for uh, visiting with us when we gather together. Pray that today's uh, conversation will be one that uh, both honors you and um, enriches our walk with you as we see you uh, the way you present yourself and understand the consequences of uh, this wonderful uh, freedom you've given us to make choices. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, there they are. So today we're going to start a uh, two-week a two-week uh, session on uh, the topic that I think you got to you got to do early in any uh, uh, any sort of uh, lesson about prophecy or the future um, because you know basically you know what what is a what is a what is a future without hell? That's uh, that's that's so that's this topic we're going to have for the next two weeks, and you know it get, hell gets talked about quite a bit in our culture, but it's usually not in the way we're going to talk about it today. Uh, you know, it tends to get used uh, a hell of a lot. You know, and uh, why, why do we say that hell of a lot? Why, why do people say? Well, I think it's because, huh? Google it. If you Google it, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think I think that uh, that actually probably comes from the Psalms, where it says uh, hell has an insatiable appetite, and so people use it as the insatiable appetite, and then it just kind of got carried along. Um, uh, and you know, people tend to kind of use the hell out of hell. So why do we say that? You, you beat the hell out of whatever, uh, and uh, Texas A&M fight song, whatever. Um, and you know, getting rid of hell, I think, is something that in our culture has has been to, generally conceived of as a good thing. You, you don't like hell; you want to get rid of it. Um, and I don't I don't hear this so much anymore. But when I was younger, uh, if you really wanted to uh, say something ugly to somebody, one of your choices was to tell them to go to hell. And you know, this is this is a this is a uh, I guess a a uh, about the worst thing, worst destination you could wish on somebody, and of course, you know the whole idea of cursing is, you know, the worst curse is to damn someone to hell, and cursing is a interesting thing. Uh, it's it's a simultaneously trying to crush someone else while sitting in the place of God. Probably not a good idea as a general rule. But overall, I would say that what, what this kind of conversation does is it, is it tends to trivialize the whole idea of hell. Then, of course, in our modern culture, 
we uh, have a large group of people who are proudly on the highway to hell. And they sing the song and they do the anthem and they raise their fingers, you know, they're in with the devil's horns and whatever. So hell has actually become quite cool in many respects. Uh, so, so I think when we start talking about hell, we, one of the things we have to do is disengage from this cultural um, trivialization of hell and, and to some extent with our over-familiarity with something we never talk about or think about. Now, in my uh, experience in talking about the subject of hell, it seems to have two predominant reactions. There seems to be two kind of predominant uh, schools of the people who care. And for the most part, most people would prefer just not to think about it. But the two, two camps who really care, there's one camp that's very, so let's call it traditionalist, and there's a certain number of mythologies that go with the, the topic, and they tend to cling to them very, very vigorously. And uh, my sort of extrapolation of the behavior on the whole is that they really like the idea of having somewhere for other people to go to that they don't like. Uh, and then there's a group of people that just really don't like hell, and they're looking for a way to get rid of it. They actually like to talk about it some, but they want to talk it away. Uh, we're going to do neither today, and we're gonna, what we're going to do is honor our setup from last week, where we basically said when we talk about prophecy, uh, the, the typical... The typical scenario is that um, we, the people, let's say the Pharisees we looked at in specific, uh, tended to really dig into the details about what was going to happen and miss the whole point. And we looked at, at Jesus saying, you know, you really study the scriptures because in them you think they have eternal life, but they're all talking about me and you won't come to me so you can have life. In other words... You've really dug into the details, but you missed the whole point. So, in keeping with that general theme, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some details about this topic, hell, but we're not going to we're not going to uh, lock in on the details. What we're going to do is make sure we get the big point, and the big point is real simple. I think it's that uh, sin is a really bad idea. Because it just doesn't pay. That's, that's the overall point. Sin has really bad consequences. And you want to avoid it. Okay? I think that's the big point. So let's talk about hell. And uh, it's probably going to take us about two weeks here to get this topic uh, covered. And first of all, let's talk about the word hell uh, in the scripture. Not from culture. And we've talked about it tends to be a trivial uh, part of conversation, but from Scripture. So hell, it depends on which uh, uh, translation that you pick up as to what words they translate as hell. But uh, in general, if you have an older translation uh, of, the, of the Scripture, if, and you look at the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, hell is generally... Uh, a translation of the word sheol, uh, Hebrew word sheol. Uh, if you get a newer translation, uh, they, may, they may or may not use uh, hell for sheol. And even if you go in the older translation, uh, the word sheol is sometimes translated hell, sometimes translated pit, 
sometimes translated death, sometimes translated grave. So there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, uh, consistency in, in using this word shio. We'll talk more about that next week, uh, shio. But generally speaking, the Old Testament concept of, of uh, hell is shio. And uh, in the LXX, which is the, um, Greek, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the LXX generally translates Sheol, Hades. And we'll talk about Hades more next week. If you go to the New Testament then, uh, the, the word hell is generally one of three different words uh, that, are, that are translated. The first one is Gehenna. We're going to talk about that at length today, Gehenna. Uh, the second one is Tartarus which actually only occurs in the scripture one time. And the third is Hades. In the modern translations, I've noticed that uh, they've stopped translating Hades hell, and they actually just say Hades for the most part. But it, again, it depends on the translation, whether, what, what they stick with here. Uh, basically, all the translations translate Gehenna as hell. Uh, and Tartarus. These, these two get, get translated every time. Hades, sometimes it's Hades, sometimes it's hell. In the ESV, hell appears 14 times in the New Testament. 12 times it's Gehenna, one time Hades, one time Tartarus. And uh, nine times they translate Hades uh, as Hades. One time they translate Hades as death. I'm not sure why they made that departure. One times they translate Hades as hell. That's ESV. In the New King James, it uh, seems to be more consistent. Uh, they translate Hades, Hades. Uh, the New Testament, um, they have uh, hell show up 13 times. It's either Gehenna or Gar- Tartarus every time. And in the Old Testament, they actually started using Sheol. So this, is, this has begun to shift some in the modern translations, but you probably wouldn't notice because it just this topic doesn't get talked about all that much. So, what we're going to do next then is go to hell. <laughs> if someone tells you to go to hell, you can actually do that. You can actually get on an airplane and go there because Gehenna is still actually a place today. So, let's go to Gehenna and understand this word picture that shows up 12 times in the New Testament and is the most graphic, I would say, of of the different pictures. By the way, uh, I'm going to tell you that I I generally don't think Gehenna actually is talking about hell. And the the phrase that I think actually is talking about hell, for the most part, is uh, the lake of fire. And it doesn't get uh, translated hell very often, but I, I actually think this is hell. And we'll, we'll talk about that in due time as well. But first, let's talk about Gehenna. And let me also warn you that hell is a, is a topic that is kind of scary. Uh, but I'll just kind of ease your mind some because the presentation I'm going to have is, is probably worse than you think. So just don't worry. Uh, okay, so Joshua 15, we'll start with. Joshua 15, 
Now let me uh, break down the etymology of this word. In the, in the Old Testament, what you have is geh, uh, ben, hinnom. And it's translated valley of the sons of Hinnom. This is generally the way this is uh, done in the Old Testament. And by the time you get to the New Testament, it's been kind of shortened to Gehenna. So what we're talking about is the valley of the sons of Hinnom. So let's look at uh, Joshua 15, verse 8. Uh, we'll start in 7. He's talking about the land of Judah here. Then the border went up towards Deborah from the valley of Achor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adamenum, which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued on with the waters of El Enshemesh and ended at El Enrogel, and the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. So this valley of Hinnom is uh, on the border of Jerusalem. And if you go there today, it's still called that, the Hinnom Valley. So Jerusalem is bordered by two valleys. There's actually a small valley that goes down the middle of it. It has two valleys. Anybody know what the eastern valley is? It has the Mount of Olives on one side. The Kidron Valley. It's the Kidron Valley, and you'll hear about that quite a bit. So you've got the Mount of Olives, the Kidron Valley, the Eastern Gate, and most of the pictures you get from people that have gone to, Jer- to Jerusalem will be uh, up on the, up on the uh, Mount of Olives looking at the city and the Dome of the Rock and all that across the Kidron Valley. Well, on the other side is the, val- the Hinnom Valley, the Valley of Hinnom. This is Gehenna. So why is Gehenna hell? Well, let's go. It has a, it has a uh, history. So this is going to be kind of like Wall Street. If I say to you Wall Street, what do you think of? New York City. Why? That's where Wall Street is. Well, there's one in Midland. Has a really good restaurant on it. Okay. If I say I went, I'm going to work on Wall Street, what, what do you think is happening? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stock guy, right? I'm a money, money guy. Now, the reality is most of the people that work on Wall Street work in a building that doesn't have a Wall Street address, right? And they may work in Los Angeles because we call Wall Street the whole world of high finance. And it's basically because J.P. Morgan's office was on Wall Street. It still is today, 60 Wall. Uh, And J.P. Morgan is like the icon of of finance. Great history channel, uh, uh, episode on him if you ever want to watch it. So this is this becomes a the same type of thing. We're going to find Gehenna. What's in this valley becomes a byword to tell us the geography becomes the uh, the activity. It's going to be the same kind of thing. So let's look at Jeremiah seven. Now you know the background of Jeremiah. I've got a is uh, we are just on the cusp of the Babylonian captivity and exile for part of, Lam- uh, for, for part of uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations. And then 
part of Jeremiah, the, the, uh, the uh, captivity's taken place. So this is spanning the, the captivity. And for a big part of it, Jeremiah is, is prophesying and telling people uh, what's wrong and why God's going to do what he's going to do. And actually urging them to repent and avoid it. So in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, he, uh, let's just start with the sentence right before that. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command. Uh, Thus says the Lord, this is right after the potter's wheel. And God says, uh, go to the potter's house. And he sees the potter potting and then he makes a mistake and he just reforms it and starts over. And he says, that's what I'm going to do to Israel. I'm just going to reform it and start over. The next chapter he says, thus says the Lord, go get a potter's earthen flask. Take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom which is by the entry of the potsherd gate. So we've got a gate of the wall of Jerusalem looking right out on this valley. Now, let me, let me just give you a little more geographical, geography background here. This valley also happens to be the downwind valley. And in all these ancient cities, there was always a downwind, a place that was downwind and downhill. So what went downwind and downhill in an ancient city, do you think? The sewage and the garbage and the corrupt, any, anything dead. So uh, they would actually take water at the top of the street and actually flood the, flood the street. All the refuse and all the, all the horse dung and everything else would go, would go out into this valley. And if something died, they'd put it in the valley. A lot of times they'd set it on fire, you know, to try to keep the, try to keep the, uh, uh, you know, the, rot and the stench down and there'd be worms out there and stuff you kind of get the picture this is not this is not where you'd want to put your house in the burbs this is the, the so that this is this is this valley go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate and proclaim there the words i will tell you and say hear the word of the lord o kings of judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place because they have burned incense in it to other gods whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. I have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. This place shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the of Hen- sons of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Now, let me give you a little more um, historical background here so you can get this full picture. We've actually been to uh, Israel and seen an excavation of a pagan altar, Tophet. Tophet means drums. And what they did 
is they would take uh, an idol, a bronze idol um, to Moloch, which is part of this Baal thing, part of the overall deal. And uh, it was bronze, it had a head of a calf and a crown on it, and they would build this fire into this uh, idol, and then they would beat drums to create a real loud sound, and then go take their children and throw them into this idol, or place them on the arms of the idol, and sacrifice living children to this foreign god. That's what happened in the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. And so it's called the Valley of Tophet, the drums, because that's where the drum beating would come from. So you, you get, you're starting to get this place, this picture in your mind, refuse, uh, bodies burning, smoldering fire, worms, uh, and then the, this wickedness of sacrificing your own children to uh, the satanic expression. So Gehenna is the place where wickedness, death, destruction, corruption, it's the very picture of it. It gets worse. Um, Let's see. Verse 8, I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all its plagues. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. What's about to happen is Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in, and Jeremiah tells them, look, you made a, you made a treaty with Nebuchadnezzar. Honor it. If you do, everything will be fine. And the people say, yeah, we're going with Egypt. Egypt will save us from Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah says, no, he won't. I told you, you don't ever rely on Egypt. That's part of our deal. And people say, we're not going to listen to you, Jeremiah. So what happens is Nebuchadnezzar comes in and sieges the city. And it becomes so severe that actually people are eating dead people. That's what happened. And then when they finally broke through, half a million people got killed, which is what we read about next. Verse 10, then you shall break the flask in the side of the men who go with you. Remember, he had this earthen pot with him at this potsherd gate, and he's going to break it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, even so I will break this people in this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Tophet till there's no place to bury. So they're just going to stack them up. Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet. You want to burn your kids in in the idol? Fine, you're going to get burnt. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet. Because of all the houses on roofs, they've burned incest to the host of heaven and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Then Jeremiah came from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on this city, on all her towns, all the doom I've pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks, that they might not hear the words. Just as a matter of interest, let's just read a little further. 
Now Pashar, the son of Emmer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pashur struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. So that was his reward for telling this to people. We don't like your message, so we're going to put you in stocks. So this is Gehenna. This is the valley of Hinnom. This is, this is, the, this is what uh, any Jew is going to have in his mind if you say valley of sons of Hinnom. He's going to have Jeremiah 19 in his mind. He's going to have... Uh, we could read... Uh, well, let's do. Let's just read Second Chronicles 28.3. Second Chronicles 28.3. This is all in the run-up to Jeremiah. Chronicles is written to explain why the Babylonian captivity happened. And it was because of unfaithfulness. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. This is 1, 28.1. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, this is a king of Judah. You don't want to be like Israel. And he made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations. Ahab. Ahaz. And then Manasseh goes on and does the same thing. So you have this pattern, this history of falling into Canaanite worship and the worst kind of expression of it, of sacrificing your own sons and daughters, your precious children that God's given you, and you're sacrificing them to this idol. This is kind of the bottom depths of of, uh, corruption. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening.